Thank you for listening to Lawfully Ever After. I'm your host, Julie Potts. And please remember that this is not legal advice. This is meant to be informative and educational as you navigate one of the hardest times in your lives. Money is almost as emotional as as kids. And obviously they go hand in hand because custody does affect child support, meaning who has custody and under what percentages, et cetera. So a big issue that comes up And it's in the Pennsylvania statute, and it's in the orders that says when you have a change in circumstances, lose your job, increase in income, decrease in income, you are obligated to report it to the other side, as well as domestic relations, within seven days. Guess how many people do that? I can think of like one letter I write a year of a lot of clients who actually are like, hey, I got a change in income. So do you have to report your income? Yes. And even if you think it's minimal, still report it, because here's why. What's coming into my head is a case where the person posted their promotion on LinkedIn, and we were able to go back three years, because he didn't report his income for three years. So we were able to go all the way back because he failed to report, and there's a case that is on point to this, which is how we do this, go all the way back and say, okay, well, in, let's say, 2018 at that time, you got an increase in income that you didn't report. Well, now you owe the support. So if you if you owed 1500, but you only paid 1000, well, 500 each month, there's $6,000 That's for 20, you know, so it keeps adding up. And we've had people owe, I've had people owe, they worked it out, but it was well over six figures, because they didn't report their change in income. So, you know, people, I'm gonna hide it. No, you're not. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and, and why? Why? Right? Like, Child support in particular is to support the child. It, it, so it's food, clothing, shelter for your kid. Why, why, are, you trying not to, why are you trying not to do that? <laughs> you know? So it, it's, it's a common thing. Do I have to? I'm going to hide this. I'm going to do this and not tell them. Well, then you run the risk of having to go all the way backwards. And then you're paying me. And then guess what? You also may be paying their attorney's fees. So, like, stop. Stop making your life harder. So yeah, report a, report your income is like the easiest thing that I could tell people either way. I'm sure there's an extent to being traceable because we don't really use a lot of cash these days. But what about people that do work under the table or, or do work in cash situations and they're trying to say, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have another job. I'm not working under the table. Well, there's PIs. So what popped into my head as you were asking the question is a case where the wife said, yeah, I work as a waitress, but I only work a certain amount of time, which was underestimating, or I work as a quote unquote manager, so I get paid $7 an hour, I don't get paid tips, whatever. And we hired a PI. And guess what? Was that probably throwing good money at bad, perhaps, but that person thought it was worth it. Or if you say I'm a server, and say you're at a moderate end place, but I only got $25 worth of tips. Well, no, no, you didn't. And the court can say, well, I'm going to back it in and say three hours, presuming you get $50 an hour, there's 150 bucks. And keep in mind, it's not taxed. So it's all it's all in because if you're not paying tax on it, well, now we're not taxing it. You don't get the benefit of taxing income that you don't report. So now it's almost like $100 is really like $130 because if you had reported it, you would have lost that tax, right? So that has happened. Hairstylists, obviously people who are tipped is another one. You can go online and see how many spots they have, right? So if you go online and see that, you know, John Doe has a barbershop and he has eight spots for the day of which six are filled, well then, and you know they're $40 haircuts, well now you can figure out if most people tip 20% on 40 bucks, well that's eight to $10 times it by six appointments, well now we're at, you know, 
48, 48 to $60 in that situation. And that adds up. And again, if it's not taxed, meaning you're under the table, the court can put it in as, as that's your net. So you're really screwing yourself twice because you're not getting the benefit of the tax because member support is based on your net income, not on what you, you're, we start at your gross, then we look at your tax filing and other deductions that are mandatory and other points, but you're screwing yourself. You can try and I don't advise it. And ultimately you're more likely than not to have it figured out. What about the extreme where someone says they don't have a job at all? They have no income, but the person they're going against knows that they have something going on for money. A more common example that I've come into is I've been a stay-at-home mom for 20 years and I don't want to work. Um, Okay, neither do I, but I do, right? So that's an earning capacity situation where the court can say, I hear you, but you have an obligation to support yourself and your kids. And the court can impute, meaning give you an earning capacity based on your age, education, and experience. And they'll put you in the calculation as if you've made it. So if it's $60,000 a year, which is 5000 gross a month, you know, you tax affect it, say you're now at $4,200 net, well, then you've given up $4,200 that you're not really getting. But the court's presuming you have it. The courts are going to give time to some extent, and it depends, you know, a lot on a lot of factors, but even a stay-at-home mom with young kids, you're going to have to go back and get a job. I, I, I don't know other way to put it. I know I'm well known for saying, get a job, get a job, get a job. But it's not my opinion. It is my opinion, but it's also the court's opinion. And I've told people, you know, you're always going to support yourself better than anybody else is going to support you. And then you always get the argument that childcare is more expensive than what they can earn. So well, that, what is your response to no, that No, actually, the good news in Pennsylvania, at least, is that the statute has now changed that if you do impute an earning capacity, you do have to consider uh, childcare. And, and sometimes it doesn't make sense. I'm not saying it always makes sense. But yeah, if you have to, it, you cannot put one in without the other, which is good. And I think that's the right answer. That's interesting. So then what happens in that situation? So I'm a stay-at-home mom. I didn't go to college. So my earning is only, say, $15 an hour. But childcare is going to – I have five kids. So childcare is going to be crazy expensive. Then what happens? So then using – because, again, support calculations pending a divorce or in child support are an income-driven analysis, right? So in other words, you plug in numbers. So if you plugged in $30,000 as your gross, they're netted, they net it out based on your tax filing status – you know, other deductions and exemptions, et cetera. So then they're going to put in your hypothetical childcare, right? So then what is that? So typically, you know, the YMCA or, you know, one, two, three learning center. And it might turn out that it doesn't make sense. And then the parties can agree to that otherwise or come up with the difference. The only problem I would say is that within that's a short term answer, meaning, you know, at some point you're going to have to support yourself. And I, I do think that if it doesn't make sense, I'm not saying you should get a job just to get a job. I'm saying you should get a job to support yourself. And But yeah, the hypothetical child care does come in. Yeah, and it should. Even just getting just a few hours, you can get that experience. And then when the kids are all in school, yeah. you're kind of setting yourself in a situation where you have some experience. Yeah, and I, something. someone who comes in with like a two and a four-year-old, I'm going to say, look, take your time. I'm not saying do it instantaneously. Like, I don't mean to be callous. It's take your time. Get yourself up on your feet, and then it's baby steps. No one's expecting you to go from stay at home to running a company and being a CEO. That is not what I'm suggesting. But to make some efforts, you know, it's it's not just because the court expects it, like I said, but it's also to ensure that you can later support yourself. And and then people come in and say, well, I have 
I, I can't work because of medical issues. Well, unless you're on disability and you have a doctor's note. You know, they'll come in. People will come in. Well, I get migraines. Okay. That's not going to get you anywhere. You know, like you don't have a doctor's note that says you can't work. Everybody has a thing. Like you could find 100 things for every person. So sometimes stop stop trying to make the excuse. Work work just as hard at the excuses as as the job and you're going to be fine. I mean, trust me, there's days that I don't want to go to work. It's not like I click my heels into work every day, but I do it because I have an obligation to support myself and my family, even in an intact household. It doesn't mean that women aren't supporting their family intact, but it doesn't create income, unfortunately. That's the issue. Staying home and being a stay-at-home parent is harder than any job. I, I did it for a short amount of time, part-time, and it was hard. It was very hard. But the, it's not that it's not important. It's not that it's not hard. It is a job, but it just doesn't pay you. Right. That's the difference. And it is, to some extent, a privilege to stay home because there are families where they need the extra income. So you're working like night shift or working opposite schedules and just having to make it work because you really need that in extra income. And that's actually a good one because in, in Pennsylvania, you, you're only required, and I, I do that in air quotes, to have one full-time job. Let's just say during the marriage, husband worked to a full-time job and a part-time job to make ends meet. And then he's now in a situation where he's having custody. He's like, I can't have two jobs. Like, I can only work my full-time job because I, I can't work at night because I want to see my kids. The court's not going to say, you work two jobs during the marriage. Now you have to work two jobs. That's a big one. And you only have to work one job. One job, full-time. And then the other thing is, it's not enough. Okay, well, if it wasn't enough intact, because usually it's not enough intact, well, how do you think it's going to be enough when you have two households? And it's not about what you can afford. There's that different analysis in alimony, and I'm not going there, but in a spouse, spousal APL child support calculation, are there deviations you can request? Sure. Have I seen them? No. It's what, it's what the calculations say. So... Oh, well, that's why I tell people don't go rent a place until we have an idea of support. Because if you go rent a place for $3,000 a month, but your income and your support is not going to hit that requirement, well, what, you just cut off your nose and spite your face. So I understand that that doesn't always happen. It's not always practical, especially with toxic households. But slow down and think these things through because the cash flow is an issue in any household. But in, in two different households, it's even bigger, more do, significant. Do you find that there's some sort of belief that you get to keep your lifestyle when yeah. you get divorced, yeah. especially I would imagine in the case where the other person is the one who is initiating the divorce. Yes. So a lot of people who are not initiating the divorce uh, feel like they sh they be on the other side should be punished because this is what they wanted. It's not that's not a thing. So let that go. And again, if we're talking about alimony, part of the analysis, which is definitely different, it's a needs-based analysis. What are your reasonable needs? What's your income? And can the other person meet your reasonable needs and still have cash flow and recoupment? There's a different analysis. But the factor, in my words, is, you know, what was the li lifestyle during the marriage, right? So I tell people, like, if you were used to massages and traveling and Botox and fillers during the marriage, well, maybe that's reasonable if it was able to be afforded. But if you went into $60,000 worth of debt doing those things, well, you really couldn't afford it. You just were doing it. And yeah, so I mean, ideally, the courts don't want to put you in a situation of drastic difference, but... But the luxuries might have to go. And then if you don't want them to go, then go ahead and do something right. so that you can keep them. Right. There are certain cases where there's enough money that the person can keep that lifestyle. Absolutely. I can think of plenty in our office that have those ability. And that's great. But the regular person, and I, most of us are the regular person, like you're going to have to change things if and when you go into two different households. It's not going to be the exact same. Right, wrong, or indifferent. 
I get it. And it's especially hard when the other person chose that path and the other side wants to keep their lifestyle. You still can't create more money where there isn't. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the opposite where people try to get lower paying jobs so that they can get out of paying spousal support or child support? Yeah, you can't do that. It's pretty transparent. There's a lot of people who are like, I was in sales and I was making $300,000 a year, but now I can't travel this much and now I'm down to two. Okay, well, that's fine. Like, I mean, there's more to discuss than just fine, but that's not the issue. The issue is the people, and I always use this analogy, the the salespeople making 300 and they're like, "Eh, I'm going to go work at Target or DoorDash. I'm like, yeah, no, you can't voluntarily reduce your income to avoid support. The similar, you, if, you, if you're fired, you can't get yourself fired and then go and can't pay support. So voluntary, a, a, a willful termination, meaning you did something wrong to get fired, the court's going to keep you where you were. You can make adjustments. It's not to say that you're always held to your best in f- year. You know, there's been people who are like, well, he made or she made $400,000 one year. Well, then every other year she made two. They're not going to say because you made four one year. That doesn't mean that you have to make four every year. Right. For those variable commission jobs. Yeah. be all over the place. Or self-employed people. Right. So you can't voluntarily reduce your income like in, in the way that we're talking about going from a CEO or, and that's a dramatic one, sales, to an hourly $20 an hour to, to, to avoid support. You can't get yourself fired to avoid support. But if there's like a logical reason that does make sense for you to take another position that might pay lower, that's usually okay. Yeah, but again, it's yeah. apples to apples, right? So it's not like apples to bananas. And it, it does make sense sometimes. Like my best friend's husband it travels every week, Tuesday to Thursday, typically. So if they got divorced, and he wanted to see the kids, well, he might not be able to have that job because he can't see his kids and travel. That's a good example of like the jobs that travel or the jobs that require people to work 80 hours a week. And that's something they can do during the marriage. Because it's two people supporting each other when it's one, well, they might say, I can't work 80 hours a week, I can't travel Tuesday to Thursday. But he can't be like, peace out, I'm going to go work at Lowe's. Or he can't go work at a bird sanctuary because that's what he likes and make $20 an hour as opposed to being his chemical engineer MBA self. So those are drastic examples. Uh, what happens in the case of being fired but more like laid off, like it wasn't your decision? Then then you, you know. If you, Everything the, kind of pauses. So if you have severance, well, then we use your severance, okay. right? Although sometimes severance, depending, can if they get like a lump sum could be like an asset an mm. equitable distribution because you're typically going to get more from the assets than you are at from support percentage wise. And then if they're on unemployment, that's their income, okay. you know, as long as you're trying, right. And so right. one of the things that your attorney could ask for in that situation or, or should ask for is your job applications. Let me see how many mm. jobs you apply for. Where's your resume, you know, and to show that they're making an effort. That's a big one. The court's going to expect you to be trying, but they're not going to screw you because you've been laid off. But the severance comes in, your unemployment comes in, that kind of stuff. Doubling down on the hardship is not the court's intention. All right. Thanks, Adam. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.